Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Welcome to the Daily Word. I am Pastor Darvey Mack, Associate Pastor here at Northwest Church, and we are doing the Book of Acts, chapter by chapter. And this morning, we're doing chapter 5, and you are in for an exciting chapter. We're going to go through some verses, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the verses, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to go through the verses and talk about some observations. All right. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also, being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, and tell me, he said, whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her husband by her husband. So great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. All right, so I'm going to stop right there because, like, that's, that's a lot right there. And so I want to stop right there and I want to talk about that just a bit All right, so let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they showed up with the partial proceeds from a sale, and they present those to the apostles. And if you recall back in chapter 4, remember Barnabas? He came and he brought his, and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. And you also recall, this is what they all had decided to do, that they were going to Um, sell their houses and their land, and they were going to bring that money, and they were going to bring it and lay it at the feet of the apostles, and they were going to use that money for the collective community of the church. Now, here they come with their money, and they lay it at the feet of the apostles, but it wasn't the full amount of money. It was the partial proceeds. Now, but it was 
deception that was playing out because they presented it as if it was the full amount. So it was deception. It was false. It was a display of generosity, but it wasn't the truth. Verse 3, now Peter confronts the issue. The only way Peter could know that Ananias was lying was by the gift of discerning of spirits and the word of knowledge. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Darby? Well, because here's what Peter said. He says, Satan filled your heart to lie. That is, Peter discerned that it was Satan. So the discerning of spirits is we either discerning a Satan or it's the human element or the flesh, right? Or it's the world. And so he discerned that that was Satan that filled his heart to lie. And then he said that filled his heart to lie. And he kept back part of the price. How does he know he kept part of the price back? Right. He doesn't know how much he sold the the property for. He just knows that he bought the money and laid it down. It's by the spirit that he knew that. So the lying and the partial information came by the Holy Spirit. That was words of knowledge. Verses four through six. Wasn't it yours after it was sold? Wasn't it yours to control? What is he saying here? He said he didn't have to lie. He didn't have to try to deceive them. It was his money to begin with. In other words, he, he didn't have to do that. There was a better way for him to approach this issue. But instead, he conceived it. He thought it out. He thought about it. And then what did he do? He planned it. He made a plan. And then he told a lie and he deceived them. And then he engaged his wife in the plan and his scheme. And then he played it out in front of the whole community because the church is there watching. What a hypocrisy that he played out. And there was deceit in his heart. I want you to get the full picture here because sometimes if you read through it and you don't really dig in and really ask the Holy Spirit, show me what's going on here, it can appear as if God is being really harsh here. So, Peter says to him, you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. And I think sometimes we forget that. When we are doing things that are not true, that are lies, that are against the will of God, it's not only man that we're affecting, we're lying to God. Then came the judgment. What was the judgment? Well, Ananias hears what Peter says. He said he heard those words, and he breathed his last breath. He was done. It was over for him. And then the young men came, and they carried him out. They buried him. Now, verses 7 through 10. So about three hours later, his wife shows up, remember? All right, she shows up. She doesn't have a clue what happened. And Peter questions her and, and, and asks her, did you sold the land for so much? Remember? And she lied and said, yes. She lied. And she said so much. And Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit? In other words, how is it that you agreed with your husband to lie to the Holy Spirit? 
she lied to the spirit of the Lord. They agreed to do that. Again, a word of knowledge. They agreed together to test the spirit. The word of knowledge is coming now. The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. Now, how does he know that? He knows that through the word of knowledge, the gift of the spirit. There's no way he could know those men are at the door. There's no way that he knows they're coming to take her, but by the spirit of the Lord, gift of spirits in operation. Now, immediately, verse 10, she fell down to his feet and breathed her last breath. And the young man fell, found her dead, carried her out and buried her with her husband. Now, I also think that they didn't have the typical Jewish funeral where they have everybody come because they were part of the new church, the church, and they were not part of the Jewish community anymore. They probably had to leave their family. So this community was their family. And these possession, this land that they sold was supposed to go into the community pot. You see, they had committed to share the proceeds of their sale of their house and the lands, and they were supposed to lay it at the feet of the apostles. All of them who had lands and houses had agreed to do that, and it was going to be distributed to all of the people that, so that everybody's needs were going to be met. It wasn't forced on them. It, was so, it wasn't manipulation. It was something that as a community, they agreed to do, a community of believers. They were in one heart, one soul, one accord, yet they were being ostracized from the Jewish community because they were followers of Jesus. They were no longer with their families and friends. They had left everything that they knew to follow Jesus. And they were being persecuted by the religious community. And so this was not a tiny little thing that they did when they did this. This is how God had decided to supply them in this community. So either or both of them could have gone to the apostles at any time and shared their struggle with giving the whole amount. They could have gone to them and said, you know, Peter, we're struggling. We, we, we know we said we were going to give it all, and we're just having a hard time with them. And then Peter and them would have known and I would say, by the Holy Spirit, that Satan was attacking them. And they would have prayed for them, and they would have done what they could do, and they, then they would have repented, and it would have been done. They would have been on the right footing. But no, their hearts were evil, and they would have infected the whole church in its formative stages. Verse 11. Verse 11 tells us that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. You may think it's harsh, but these are divine acts of judgment that serve to purify the church. And God could not allow these lies, the deceit, the manipulation, the hypocrisy, the dishonesty to infect the church, it's like a cancer. It would ruin every cell in the body. 
especially during these formative years. He had to establish a standard. As pastors and leaders and parents, we must choose to live a standard of integrity, right thinking and doing, and we have to hold those responsible and accountable and those that we have responsibility for to the standard of Christ, or it will negatively affect your mission, the mission of Christ, whatever job, the family that you have, whatever it is that you're called to do in life, it will have a negative effect on it. And it will hinder the flow of the Spirit of God in your ministry, in your church, and the witness of the church. So let me read verses 12 through 28 now. Verse 12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, so that they brought sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All right. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. All right. So let's stop right there, and let's talk about that. So now we see, what do we see here? Verse 17. So now we got the high priest on the scene. And the high priest, he presides over all the spiritual matters in Israel. He's the, the guy, he's the head over the Israel temple system, but under the rule 
of the Romans, right? He's under their foot. <laughs> and he has a council, the Sanhedrin, which during this time consisted largely of the Sadducees, but they have some Pharisees on there too. And the Sadducees are a sect that opposed the idea of the resurrection or the existence of angels and spirits. And I mean, they are, they're vigilant on this. They were wealthy, they were privileged, and they, close, they had close ties to the, the priestly roles of the temple. And it also consisted of scribes. They had biblical legal roles um, there. They had experts. They had family members. And they had tribal elders and so on. So you get the picture. So they were highly vested in their power position in Israel's temple system. You've got to understand this because when you think about this was a religious community, um, why are they attacking the Jesus followers? Why are they after the followers of Jesus Christ? Well, they got a lot at stake here. And if you think about um, our religious, religious systems today, they have a lot at stake. Um, they have things that they want. So if we start wanting to change that, people get a little flustered. So as you can imagine, they were highly motivated to take the Jesus followers down, right? Forget the fact that they were helping people. They were healing the sick. They were setting captives free, right? Forget that. But instead, they were full of jealousy. The scripture says indignation, and indignation involves both, both jealousy and envy. And where you have jealousy and envy, you have every evil work proven by when we go to verse 18, we see that they laid hands on and imprisoned the apostles yet again. Because you'll recall if you've read verse uh, chapter 4 that they also imprisoned the, the disciples. They arrested them in chapter 4. So this is their second arrest. So now verses 19 through 20, uh, the apostles have, ne have now escaped. They have a miraculous escape. The angel appears here. I mean, chapter 5 is just full of this beautiful, miraculous, and movement of the Holy Spirit and now angels. So the angel um, sets them free. They escape by the angel who tells them to go and stand and speak in the temple to the people. And the angel says, speak to the people all the words of this life. This is really important. What are the words of this life? Well, the words of this life is spiritual, physical, and eternal life through who? Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Now, recall, this is the very belief that the Sadducees are bitterly opposed to, and they are the main players on the council. So if they're the main players on the council, it is not going to go well for the apostles. So verses 21 through 28. The apostles, though, they obey the angel. They go and they teach in the temple. And in the meantime, the high priest calls a 
convened, they convened the, Sanhed- the Sanhedrin again, and they send the temple police or guards to get the apostles, but the officers don't find them, and everything is still locked up safe, and the guards still in place. I mean, come on. Imagine that. You go to get the prisoners. The guards are in their place. Everybody's there just like you left it, except the prisoners are gone. What's up with that? Now, they are all at loss. They're at a loss. They're confused, and now they're probably angry as well because they're trying to understand now what with these apostles. They've escaped. Now what's happened with them? You know, I imagine they're going, what next with these guys? What, now what's, what are they going to do? What are they going to create? So you can imagine they're getting even more heated with them, and they're a bit confused. Then they get the news that the apostles are in the temple teaching the people. Now, can you imagine that? They've told the disciples to stop teaching about this Jesus. They have told them this. They've arrested him twice. They've escaped out of prison, and they're back out there teaching. I love the disciples. They instruct the guards to bring them without violence for fear of what the people would do to them. So they're afraid the people would stone them. So, note, I want you to understand something. Unless it's already your practice to do violence, you wouldn't have to give that warning to the guards. So they they have a practice of being violent with people and being violent likely with the, these apostles. They so they bring the apostles and they be, begin reprimanding them and they say didn't we didn't we command you not to teach in this name? Didn't we tell you that you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. See, now we get to the matter. We get to the core of the thing here. Not only do we don't, we don't want you teaching this doctrine, but we don't want you saying that his blood is on our hands when we know that is the truth, right? All right, verses 29 through 32. All right, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and took counsel to kill them. Then one in the council stood up. All right, let me stop right there. All right, so now Peter has given his defense, if you will, to them. Peter and the other apostles, they lay out their defense full of the Holy Spirit, speaking the truth, right? And they tell them that they obey God rather than man. So they're explaining, this is why we went back out to the temple. This is why we continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we obey God rather than man. And they talk about the exaltation of Jesus. They talk about 
what they did to Jesus, that they murdered him, right? And all of this is the truth. So now I want to make a point here. The truth will always convict. We know that. And it's going to elicit one of three responses, depending on the condition of the heart and the mind. We experience this today. It's no different for us today than it was for the apostles in the early church. And so these, um, the high priests and the council were experiencing one of these three. Okay, so what are the responses? One, agreement. No need to change. You're okay in the area in which the conviction comes. Two, agreement and willingness to change if needed. We call that repentance. We go back to Ananias and Sapphira, right? They didn't change. Three, anger, even rage, taking offense or making others wrong or proving your point or hurting others or avoidance and blame. All of that come under that sort of anger phase when people get convicted instead of them doing either number one or another number two. In the case of the high priest and the Sanhedrin, this is what they did. So let's read on. We're going to start at verse 33, and I'm going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. 33 to 42. When they heard this, they were furious and they took counsel to kill them when they heard it. And then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamal, Gamal, <laughs> and you know, I practiced, I practiced this name, Gamaliel a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be, some, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him, and he also perished, and all who obeyed him was dispersed. And now I say, you keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men— it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you can overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Verse 40, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as 
the Christ. Okay, let's just unpack that. I don't know about you, but this is good breakfast. All right, so we talked about the truth and how it convicts. And now we see in the case of the high priest and the Sanhedrin, verse 33 says, they were cut to the heart. Now, when they heard the truth, they were counseled to kill them. Their intention were to kill the apostles. Imagine that. They took number three, anger, rage. That term cut in the Greek used here is different from another term in the Greek that means cut, but it's the it's the it's number two that I talked about when you are you have the willingness to change to move to repentance. That word in the Greek means you have remorse and repentance. It means you're stung to the heart. You know how you get convicted and you're like, oh, you know, you're stung. It it, it kind of hurts a little bit, but you're stung enough that you want to repent and you feel remorse. And, and you go to God and you say, I'm sorry, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to change, and you start taking steps, and you turn the other direction. That's not the Greek word here. The Greek word here has the term, the meaning, saw asunder. In other words, they saw into bits and pieces. That's what the Greek word means here. They were filled with spite and malice and revenge. They wanted to kill him. But then verse 34, Gamaliel, he was a doctor of the law. He was highly respected among the people, and he was a Pharisee. Now, understand, the Pharisees wasn't loving Jesus either. So you know the Holy Spirit is at work in this, in this environment here. He stands up and he orders that the apostles be put out so that they can speak privately. And I believe, I perceive that the word of wisdom is what's actually starting to play out here. And as he speaks to the Sanhedrin, he warns them to be careful how they deal with these men. And he reminds them of Theodos, who, who rose up claiming to be somebody, and he was killed, and his followers were scattered. And it was only 400 of them in comparison to all that happened with, is already happening with the disciples. Then he mentions Judas of Galilee, who drew away many people, and then he reminded them that they perished and, and, and his followers dispersed. And then, and then we move into verses 38 and 39, and now you can sense the words of wisdom coming forth in these verses because, frankly, when you look at this prior to this point, prior to verses 38 and 39, the argument that... Uh, he gave in verse 34. It really wasn't that great. Remember, because Jesus Christ has already been resurrected. 
He's this uh, stories about his appearances is already already out there. Multitudes of people are already gathering in the streets of Jerusalem, following after his apostles and becoming disciples. People are already being healed and delivered and miracles are already happening in their midst right now. So really, the argument is not that great. The stuff that happened to the other guys, they've already surpassed that. But he said, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. And here's is the words of wisdom. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Now, even they know better than that. And so you know that's God. You know that's the spirit of God speaking, you know that's a word of wisdom, words of wisdom playing out here. Now, verse 40, the Sanhedrin agreed and they called the apostles and they beat them or they flogged them. And I want you to understand something. We're not talking a little beating here. They beat them down. They flogged them. This is not an easy thing that they went through. And they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. We know how well that went (laughs) because verse 41 tells us that they left the council rejoicing. Now, these guys just been beat down and they're rejoicing, rejoicing, counting it worthy to suffer shame for Jesus's name. And this is how we are to do it when we're under persecution We are to rejoice in that. That means we are doing something. We are making a difference. We are having an impact for Jesus. If the apostles, the early church, had to suffer, what makes you think you're not going to suffer when stuff happens? God didn't promise us everything was going to be rosy posy. And the disciples are showing us When this stuff happens, this is what we do. We rejoice in it. I'm not looking for it. I'm not going out trying to find it. They weren't doing that. They were being true to their Lord. Verse 42, and they kept on daily in the temple and in every house to teach and to preach Jesus Christ, regardless of the opposition, as should we. And I want you to notice something in chapter 5. Nowhere in chapter 5 have I read, or any of the other chapters to this point, have we read where they were complaining about all of this stuff that they were doing to them. Nowhere. Nowhere. If you find it, call me. I want to I see that. So I want to share with you quickly five key learnings to summarize this chapter. Number one, guard the condition of your heart because it could be to the death of you. Now, I haven't heard anything lately (laughs) in our time where the Spirit has put somebody to death like Ananias and Sapphira. But, you know, people are dying slowly because of their lack of integrity and their lying and their deceitfulness 
they are dying. They're losing their families. They're losing their health. Things are happening to them because of the things that they are doing. And they think the deceit and the lying and the trickery and the scheming, and they think they're getting away with it, but it's having an effect. Because remember, the gospel is the gospel of life. And if you're not living, you're dying. Number two, there is power when we are in one accord, when we're in unity. Reflect back. They were in accord and they were in unity and the power of the spirit was flowing. The reason I pointed out in places where you could sense the the words of knowledge, the words of wisdom, the, the, the discernment of spirit was for you to recognize that the spirit was flowing, the angels showing up, the spirit of God was flowing. God was with them and they were obedient. Number three, rejoice in tribulation and in persecution. Anyway, <laughs> I know it hurts, but rejoice anyway. You said, Darby, Rejoice in what? The pain? No. Rejoice in your salvation and the salvation of those who are going to hear the gospel through you. Number four, teach and preach Jesus Christ regardless of the opposition. And number five, the Holy Spirit's gifts flows easily and naturally. It was flowing naturally. You never heard Peter say, okay, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit about to operate, or I'm hearing the Spirit of the Lord saying, and you, you didn't hear all of that. He just moved. He just flowed easily with the Spirit of God. And even those who God used to get what he wanted done, done, they just moved with the Spirit. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a faithful, faithful God. And Father, we thank you for the apostles and the examples that they show us. And Lord, we thank you for everyone listening to this teaching today, going through the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse by verse, Lord, we thank you that you have spoken into each heart individually what you wanted them to get out of this, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray over them, and we speak a blessing over everyone in the hearing of this teaching right now. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord, and help us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty, matchless name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.